0: good morning, church. If you would, you can be opening up to Luke chapter 11. As we look at and take advantage of Father's Day or, I don't know if you've heard this yet, uh, happy... Day to you non-birthing parents, that's a thing, you know. Around Mother's Day, it was, oh, it's birthing parent day. And today, it's non-birthing parent day. We live in a cultural schizophrenia. That's what we are. But, But recognize what's happening. Identity is being stripped of everybody. Being stripped of everything. And we, as the people of God, have an identity in our relationship with God as Father. That is unique, and we're going to look at as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. It's unique enough that it should catch the attention of the people that observe our lives. It should be something that we are founded in, and we are grounded in enough that people see wait, there's okay to be identified with God as your Father. And Jesus welcomes his disciples into that experience. Luke 11, verses 1 through 13, follow as I read God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go at midnight? Go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are, are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. That we live in a fallen world with the experience of being raised by fallen fathers. Help us this morning understand your fatherhood in a fresh way. That we can find that when we approach you, we don't have to be fearful in our approach to you. But we find a father who is good and who gives good gifts. Help us experience your spirit as we walk out this life. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. You know, prayer is what the, the disciples are asking Jesus to show them. They identified because remember, excuse me a second. <clears throat> Hopefully that's the last time I clear my throat. We'll see. Uh, the disciples are seeing, hey, John taught his disciples, and what they identify with John and with Jesus is something other than what they experience in daily life. I think they're looking at a supernatural component. They're looking at something that, hey, you, you pray and you go out and things happen around you. People are healed of sickness and disease and teaching with authority goes out. So they're recognizing the, the, what Jesus is, is displaying in his life with the prayer that's coming from his life, what's what's coming from is the result of his experience in prayer. Now, we have to understand prayer. Prayer is more than simply petition before God. It is, and it evolves petition, but but prayer is our experience with God on this earth. If you remember when Jesus went into the uh, the temple and he's driving out those who sold pigeons and doves and he's driving out the money changers and he's telling them what you my house shall be called a house of prayer but you've made it a den of robbers you're stealing from people and when Solomon dedicated the temple he said the, the entire world knows that this is where God's name is and that was synonymous with this is where God's presence is so the entire world can come here and that's what Jesus is referencing my house should be called a house of prayer for the nations That everybody on earth would know God's address. They would know where God's presence is. So when they came, they would experience the fullness of his presence. Now within that fullness comes the sacrifice. That's why he's telling everybody you're you're cheating everybody from the sacrifice. You're, You're diminishing the role of the sacrifice and the understanding of the sacrifice that makes way for our experience in the presence of God. All of that is entailed. But what Jesus gets at his prayer is about an experience of God's presence. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, what it's also saying is keep on experiencing the presence of God every, in every aspect, in every moment of your life. We're always on when it comes to the presence of God. And we might distract ourselves or drift, but it's always on if we are children of God, genuine believers. Jesus gives an outline for petition here as he does in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. But he also uses two examples to describe the experience of our petition and when we're asking God for things. Before we dive in, what's crucial to recognize about this passage is the presence of the Trinity in this. Remember, Jesus the Son is instructing. He talks about addressing God as Father, and then the Father gives the Holy Spirit. So there's a a, a Trinitarian concept of prayer, experiencing God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that we're experiencing God. And the word Trinity, I've said this before, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. It's It's a word that helps, and theologians came up with that, early Christians came up with that, to help us understand God as he exists as three persons. And I have this in your notes. God is one God. Eternally existing in three persons. This is mysterious. It's confusing. And we will never understand it in this age. I'm not sure we'll understand it in heaven, but we will have glorified brains to be able to conceptualize different things in heaven. Not sure if we're really going to understand it because the angels are amazed at who God is. And so we will always continually be amazed at who God is. But he is one God, eternally existing in three persons. And each expression has its own personality and function while all together being one God. God has expressed his Father as Son and as Spirit. Next week we'll look at God the Son. Each is united in will and in purpose to accomplish God's glory being known everywhere. So think about it this way. The Father originates... The Son accomplishes, and the Spirit completes. God is expressed in these three persons to highlight his relational essence. God is an intensely relational being. And when Jesus invites his disciples to address God as Father, that's intensely relational. That's why we are, as image bearers of God, we are intensely relational. And why, when when that identity is stripped away from everybody, we feel weird about it. It's like, no, 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 you're not supposed to take the identity of father away. Because this is about image-bearing. He is relational, and he is always in relationship with himself. Now, God is, he alone is God, but he is never alone. He is God expressed in these three. Father, Son, and Spirit, delight in, in <clears throat> a joyful deference to the other members of their oneness. And it's a joyful sacrifice that marks their relationship. Just like our relationship with him and him inviting us into his relationship, with, as he experienced that, that intensity of relationship within himself, we then become image-bearing, and that joyful sacrifice becomes the mark of our experience with God, right? We, we sacrifice, and we are joyful about it, and we experience the pleasure of God when we do. Now, as we look into this passage, our, our main caption would be this. God, as Father, inclines himself to the experience of his children, blessing them with his continued eternal presence. Recognize this. Father Inclining himself so his children experience his blessing. Do we really think of God that way? Typically, we are more aware of how, why God is not, not inclined toward us because of some behavioral malfunction in us. Or he's not really geared to bless us because we haven't done enough good for him. We have this barter system that's innate in us. It just comes with us being human and breathing air. We think God will bless us when we do enough for him. And Jesus has come on this earth to say, we got the thinking all wrong. That's not how God thinks. God says, there's nothing you're going to do. There's not enough you can do. I welcome you into my presence by faith, and then I just bless you. And then I, I never turn away from doing good. I just keep on blessing you. And I keep on blessing you. And I keep on blessing you. And that blessing sometimes doesn't come in the same categories that we might be thinking or praying in. But God's promise is this. And this is the job of of the Christian is to look across the landscape of his life and recognize, I really am blessed. And like David in Psalm 16, the lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. No matter what peaks I've experienced and what valleys and how deep those valleys have been, we can all look and say, God has been good He has blessed, and the lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Because even through those valleys, I see God and experience God in a way that's very unique and different than anything I would have experienced before or understood before. He proves his faithfulness yet and yet again through his blessing of us. Now, miracle of all miracles. Jesus says to them, when you pray, say, Father. That's utterly amazing how God in his holiness, in all of his purity, he who dwells in unapproachable light, who is so pure that that human eyes can't look upon him without being incinerated. In a moment, that great God says to his disciples, call me dad. Call me father. He's inviting. This is a, a household description. This is, you're in you're in the house with God. He's, he's brought you in, and you can, you can come to him. And you can discover as you come to him that he's already leaning toward you. He's already wanting you to experience who he, he is. Think about this. God is letting us know he wants us to interact with him, and he is interacting with us. Lest we think that, you know, God... You're probably far off in some part of the universe or just even on the other part of the globe, maybe another part of the state, because you, you're, you're busier with other people's things than you are with me. We deny God of his omniscience. We deny God of his omnipotence. We, we deny God of his omnipresence in those moments, that he, he can't be big enough and powerful enough and all-knowing and everywhere present at the same time to pay attention to me. And Jesus himself is telling us, He pays attention to every one of us, and we get to call him Father. It's amazing. It's utterly astounding. His personal nature, his his intensely relational nature shows up as Father to us. Now, we don't have this caption in the Old Testament a lot. That's why this probably blew the minds of the disciples who heard this. Say what, Father? And the word that Jesus used there is a a tender affection word. Daddy, Abba, that's what what they're connecting. Wait a minute. God Almighty, the one who showed himself to Moses in a burning bush, and the one who displayed himself as a pillar of fire and smoke and separates the Red Sea, he... He wants that type of relationship with me. Jesus telling us all, yes. But we do have, we have these things that pop up. These these foreshadowing moments of God in his his understanding. He wants his people to understand his relationship with him. Most of the time in the prophets, God is described uh, as the husband of the bride that is Israel. And they have, they've not kept their vows to him, and they've, they've wandered from it, and they've, they've committed spiritual adultery, and they've, committed, uh, they've turned their backs on their covenant. We don't get this father-son relationship too much, but it's there. But Jesus is opening the, the doors wide for this experience. Deuteronomy 32.6, the second half of that verse, Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? In Isaiah 63, 16, you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. Now, as we look at what Jesus describes in these few verses, and we have the fuller version in, in the gospel account in Matthew, but what does it mean to approach God in prayer? The first thing we come with is Praise. And whenever we praise God, we immediately surrender every right that we have over ourselves. That's why worship in a a corporate context on Sundays is so very important. We are coming together recognizing my life's not my own. God is to be praised. I'm not to be praised. So all the the in-workings of me trying to establish my own kingdom during the week, on Sunday mornings it shows up and it says, Nope, it's not my kingdom ever. Anything about fathers today, I don't know. my wife is asking me, so what do you want to do? It's like, well, I kind of want to do what I do every Sunday, take a nap, eat what I want. See, moms on Mother's Day, you get to like do something special. Dads are like, I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. That'll be good. I'm right with that. But when we come together in worship, that's why, that's why worship during the week is so important, personal worship, where you, you are surrendering your kingdom. You are praise and honoring. I'm honoring your name, God. I'm not out to make a name for myself. I'm honoring your name. I, I, I desire, God, that everybody that sees my life, they would see Jesus, not me. We surrender that. We praise your kingdom come. God, forgive me of all of the the ways I've tried to establish my kingdom and make people obey me this week. No, it's your kingdom that's been established and it's already been established in the heavenlies, God. And we pray that it would come about in everyday life because I trust that your kingdom is good and me being in your kingdom is blessing for me. God, I want to experience that type of blessing. So we praise him. We also ask for provision. Give us our daily bread, God. Give us sustenance both physically and spiritually, a physical sustenance that looks like, wow, God fed me today. He provided food for us. That's miraculous. He provides for us in ways that we don't have to worry about or where our next meal is coming from because we can have full refrigerators and freezers. It's not the experience in most of the world. We say, God, thank you for this physical bread that you've provided, but God, there's also a spiritual bread I need. I need you to show up with me every single day so I can experience your presence in such a unique moment that it captures my heart so my heart doesn't wander off and, and, and get fooled by the trinkets of the culture and the tantalizing things that always pop up whenever we're on any website whatsoever because you talked about it two days ago and now it's bombarding you. Uh, algorithms. God... <laughs> Protect us from algorithms. And then he he says in verse 4, to ask for forgiveness. Forgive our sins. We ourselves are forgiving everyone who's indebted to us. I I put that under a protection component uh, because we're asking God to protect us from ourselves. We're asking God to protect us from unforgiveness, which embitters us in our relationships and where, where we are to reflect those Personal relationships with one another as the church. Unforgiveness comes in and it, it warps them, it nullifies them, or it just cuts them off. But we have enough scriptures when Jesus is in his own words. We have to make sure that we, we understand that uh, unforgiveness can prove an unfaithfulness in us. There is to be a forgiveness that we experience in this life, we get it from God. We bless others with it. We ourselves who are forgiven everybody that's indebted to us, no matter if it's a true debt or a fictional death debt that we're asking or holding against somebody, perhaps. And then lead us not into temptation. Jesus says, Pray for preservation. Now, that temptation, this is a confusing phrase. Does God lead us into temptation? No. James says, No. God doesn't tempt anyone. Now, God will test. Psalmists pray, God, test me, prove me. Prove that my heart is really yours. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. I prayed it once. It was miserable. And I said, God, I'll just let you just bring it. I'm not going to pray that prayer anymore. I'm just going to, you know what God did? He showed me how wretched I am. That's how he tested me and proved. Really want to know this, Jeff? Let me really reveal who you are, and why you need me so much. Now I'm grateful for that lesson. I just don't pray for those anymore. It's like, Lord, don't try me like that, please. Jesus is saying, there, there's gonna be moments God uses in His goodness toward us, and refining our faith, and refining our love, and our experience of His love. He uses the sufferings and the tragedy and the torment sometimes of life. He uses those things to highlight his presence with us so we see him in a greater way. And on the other end, we recognize, God, how in the world did you use something that you hate? The result of sin or victimization or something that came, sin comes to us or we commit a sin. How do you use something you hate to refine us into experiencing your love for us? He does it. So many of us have those stories, huh? So many of us have those stories of the depths and the valleys, and we recognize <laughs> God's God. I would have never seen him like this. I would never want to go through it again. I never want anybody else to go through it. But I see God uniquely and is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory that one day we will see in heaven. He's not only helping us experience him now, He's preparing us for that day that will be so filled with him and full of him that we'll just be satisfied for all eternity. We long, we long for that day. So we ask God to preserve us in the midst of trial. When there is that testing, when there's the moments of despair that show up in our lives, the moments of depression and anxiety that we can't shake in those moments of saying, God, preserve my faith in those moments. When when uh, Jesus goes to Peter and he says the the enemy has asked permission to sift you as wheat what does Jesus tell him? You know Peter would probably be like, can you just not let that happen at all? Jesus said, but I've prayed for your faith. You know what that moment was where Peter denies Jesus. Denies that he's his friend denies that he was even with him that he even knows him three times. And Peter goes out broken but he's restored. Peter's, is there anything left? But Jesus had prayed for his faith. And we know that the beautiful story in John 21 of him restoring Peter to himself and, and erasing the effect and the, the, the betrayal. That's when you hear Peter say, you know, Lord, you know my heart. Essentially, Jesus says, I know. I'm just doing this so the enemy doesn't have another opportunity to let you know that we're not good, because we're good. Now, with, there's an interesting, I think, there's also a connection in this with the way Luke uh, spells this prayer out with what Jesus experienced. In Luke chapter 4, it's recorded, when he, his experience with Satan in the wilderness. Remember this, because what is uh, the, Satan's going after Jesus and tempts him about bread, tempts him about... Uh, protection. Is God really going to be there for you? Uh, tempts him about preservation. Is God really going to give you what he said, what he promised? And Jesus overcame it. So now we, because of Jesus' work, get to go to the Father and pray the exact same way and get the same answers to those prayers. Now, we move on with verses 5 through 13, and it's two examples of God's posture toward us as we come to him to experience him and to petition him as we pray for provision, protection, and preservation. The first example, we usually misapply. Because in the first example, we're like, okay, God, God's asleep. I'm knocking on the door. He's irritated with me. He's a little reluctant because he's busy doing something else. Uh, can, Can you please help me? Please, please. I think Jesus is communicating... Because he, look, he clarifies that in verses 9 and 10. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This guy, this friend, doesn't open the door. That's why he keeps on beating. Come on, please help me, help me, help me. Listen, Jesus is giving this example to tell us that God is not like the friend. He's not like the friend. He's better than that friend. I think what Jesus was showing is you've got people in your life that you depend on. They'll let you down. God the Father will never let you down. So ask and seek and knock. Now, James lets us know in James chapter 4, we don't ask with impure motives to spend it on ourselves. We ask from the fruit and the motivation that says, God, I just want you to be glorified. I want you to be great. To help us understand God inclined toward us. He's not reluctant to help us in our time of need. We don't have to persist and keep knocking to get God's attention in our lives. He's already paying attention, and he's paying closer attention than any of us paying attention to our own lives. Psalm 38, 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O O Lord my God, who will answer. Psalm 65, 5. By awesome deeds, you answer us. With righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. He says, by your awesome deeds you answer. Psalm 116 verse 2, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. He's already inclined his ear. That means this, the Lord's doing this. What We have, we usually don't have that picture of him, huh? We usually have a picture that he's looking away from us. And when we pray, he he looks toward us. He's leaning in, anticipating what? What? Experience me, ask. Seek all your goodness in me. Knock, I'll give you, I'll give you me. I'll give you all that I am. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, the Lord is near. He wants to respond to us. Now, our persistence comes in because we want to experience God's blessing. We desire God and we want more of God. So we keep on coming. And we have the promise from Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a glorious promise. With confidence drawn near, because you'll find the mercy. That's what you're looking for. That's what we're asking, seeking, knocking for. God, any grace, any mercy to respond to the situation or walk with this person. And Jesus opens wide the invitation in verses 9 and 10 to come to the Father with confidence. Now, that last example, verses 11 through 13, I think I put higher than Father, but... This is just this is understanding the heavenly Father that God is. Both examples of what's asked for and given is shown that the Father does not give us harmful things when we ask for that provision and protection and preservation. He doesn't give us. You ask for a fish, you get a serpent. A serpent's harmful. Ask for an egg, you get a scorpion. A scorpion is harmful. Listen, because of our experience and some of us with our earthly fathers, because of your experience, you feel like God has only given you harmful gifts. And you wonder, is there any good that can come from my prayers? Is there any good that can come from any type of father relationship? See, Jesus says they're evil fathers who give good gifts. And this is true, and it's a good reflection of God. An unbelieving father who blesses his children with gifts and provision, that's a good thing because it's an image-bearing component. He's representing his image-bearing as God, and God the Father. But what about the evil fathers who give evil gifts? And they leave us with a sense of Brokenness and isolation that just haunts us. And so a day like today, we dread these days. Maybe your father is still with you and he's been that evil father giving evil gifts and you struggle. Do I say anything to him today? Because I struggle with hate. I struggle with anger. Maybe a A father is already gone. And so today is about a lot of regrets on maybe something you said that you couldn't take back. Maybe now now it's, I understand differently about who you were as an unbelieving father to me, and I wish I had the moment to tell you about Jesus, to tell you about the father that now has captured my heart. So I don't hate you like I used to. So today is a mixed bag. And for some, it might be, let's just get through it. Let's ignore it. But this day, like every day, for the believer, we remind ourselves, we have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father that's inclined to us, is happy to be our father is proud to be our father. And no matter what our earthly fathers have done, no matter what, he says to us, I will not harm you. I will not hurt you. And I think he would also let us know that in those moments of hurt and the pain that still lingers, and, and this is the mystery and the sovereignty of God. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. We're going to try to look at that. We're trying to figure out, God, where were you? Why didn't you stop that? Why didn't you prevent that? Because if you're all powerful and you're good and you want to bless me, why didn't you prevent that stuff? Sometimes we don't get that answer. What we get is a God who says, I was with you. I grieved with you. And by his wisdom, he used it to bring you to a greater understanding of who you are with him. That's the bizarre thing of how God uses something he hates to bring about a blessing. It shows also that Christianity, is in biblical Christianity, it's not man-made. We don't think that way. We want to alleviate pain and suffering. God says, I'm with you in it. I'm refining you. So when I see my reflection in you, that's who you know who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. And you know my love more than anything you can imagine and comprehend. He is the good father who gives good gifts. Now, in our preservation... He gives us the Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to where we can experience Him in ways that that do produce that joy. That we're able to give that forgiveness and and have issues in our hearts that linger. They're finally settled. And, And the enemy doesn't have the same hold over us with those memories or with those phrases that keep on coming back. Because as we grow in our experience with the Spirit in sanctification and becoming more and more like Jesus, we love being His. We understand our identity in Christ and we love being His. And we understand that that's a rock-solid identity that can never, ever be taken from us. No matter what culture tries to rephrase and repackage, it can never, ever be taken from the believer. We pray. We pray, don't lead us into more trial, God. Can I can I have, have I had enough tests? But his promise is, I'll be with you. Because your greatest need is the Spirit to experience who I am. He gives us the Spirit. And so, dads, we come to this day. And if we're honest, we have we have our own. Issues that we work, work through and who we've been to our children and as as your children grow older It gets a little worse As you realize I've missed a lot of time And the regrets become a little heavier We have the spirit And we today by the spirit's power can be good fathers who give good gifts just like God our father who loves us and continues to bless us so we, we can be inclined to our children no matter what their age is listening and not give them the understanding see most of us think that God's not paying attention to us because our dads didn't have much time for us and when we ask questions they, they hushed us or they were too busy doing something else that's what we drag into. That's the type of baggage that we drag into our relationship with God as our father. But we say, God, I'm just going to trust. Since you've gotten me and now I am your child, you're inclined to me. You're not going to harm me. God, help me be a proper reflection of that to my children. Help me. And when I fail, God, preserve them. When I'm the trial and the test that they have to walk through, God, preserve my children